Um, hello, hello, everyone um, in the Good Company podcast. Anna Malus Kitzman here with a very special episode today. I am always excited for my guests because my guests are always special. But today is extra special episode because not only um, I am hosting and I'm having on my uh, dear colleague and friend, Heather Danby, um, but also this episode is very dear to my heart also because it is it is a celebration of sobriety, my sobriety of six years and Heather's Yay. sobriety. So I really wanted to bring in somebody um, that it's is inspiring and and can share uh, a story in that area to to kind of inspire others and and so we can keep conversation going because i think it's so important so welcome heather uh, as i mentioned uh we've met with heather um, what is it like probably over 10 years ago yeah uh, we were sure. advertising i don't think so you were directly my boss but you will de definitely uh, uh, uh in the director position at that time yes. and i just want to highlight that you know i met many women in advertising and uh, several of them were amazing uh just uh, helpful always helpful uh, always supportive um, and uh, and Heather you're one of them for oh, sure thank you thank you yes and now Heather you are uh, still marketing consultant and you mm -hmm. use your knowledge and your uh, amazing experience uh, within marketing idea uh, area but you're also an entrepreneur you have yeah. your uh, side businesses um, yeah. so welcome Thank you. Thanks for having me and congratulations. I know. And oh, I'll, never congratulations. I'll never forget meeting at Little Goat that day and sitting down with you and talking about it. I mean, oh my gosh, I'm almost four and a half years in. So, um, you oh, know, with years of, years of trying before that. So um, congratulations to you because that's, it's no easy feat. I mean, I think, I feel like for some people, it is definitely a little bit harder. And I know that sounds weird to say, but everybody's addiction, everybody's story of sobriety, everybody's draw to the need to drink again is very different. So not um, not every day is certainly going to be easy and we're always going to have challenges and maybe sometimes think that a drink is worthwhile, but um, it seems like you have few and far between, if not any of those. And I Thankfully, um, I don't have a lot of those either. I have some some dreams where I drink every once in a while, which scares the living crap out of me. Um, so I guess that's a good thing. It keeps it it keeps me honest. It keeps it real. It keeps me going towards uh, sobriety and knowing that I never want to drink again. Oh, that's so, so funny. I remember <laughs> I had one of or two of those dreams like very early on. Oh. And like I went somewhere and I was drinking wine, and then I was like, I woke up and I was like, what? Did I really, uh, did I really, yeah. and then it was just such a relief to know that I didn't, that it was just a dream. It's scary. It's a terror. Yeah. It's not a good feeling. <laughs> yes. Um, but let's start from the beginning, Heather. I yeah. would love you to share your story again, whatever you're comfortable with, but just the idea of, um, and, and your story with, with, with alcohol, like how did it started or how did it end? Yeah. Yeah the most important part, which is the sobriety and, and recovery uh, journey. Um, yep. So whatever you co you're comfortable to share. Okay, sure. Um, okay, so my sobriety date is, I say March 21. It was actually March 20th because they say at least in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I know some people are anonymous, but as you know, I am not. I am loud and proud about um, AA getting me sober. And I do continue to this day to, to use that as a support, as well as many, many, many other methods of um, self-discovery, self-care and whatnot. So, um, but I say that it's March 21, not March 20, because I had such a bad hangover. Um, it was not my worst and it was not, it was not my breaking, it was my breaking point, but it wasn't my rock bottom when I woke up that day and said, okay, I just need to be done. Um, so gosh, okay. So I guess I can start with, I was just telling you right before we started recording that I just did hypnotherapy with my friend, Becky Parker and shout out to Becky because it was, first of all, she's just a phenomenal person and she's been through her own crap 
eating disorders and so many things. And she's just this brilliant light. So when like you did um, the pranic healing with me the other day, last week, she just put me in a space like you did of just relaxation. And it was interesting though, because it brought out some things and I was crying even before we started with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I came from, I come from a line of addictive behavior. I have it on all sides. Um, actually it's mostly on my mom's side, but my brother has also been sober over 30 years. He got sober and clean from drugs and alcohol when he was 19. So, um, you know, I had a pretty normal childhood except that, and this is what came up and I know my parents won't listen to this. So that's good because I would hate to have them have their feelings hurt and I might start to cry. Um, this is crazy. So when my dad and I were talking this summer and he mentioned that when he started his own advertising business, which is why I got started in advertising, he worked for Leo Burnett back in the day. And then he, we moved to Michigan and and he started his own business. And he said that he actually, he and his partners decided to not take a salary for a year while they were getting their business up and running. Uh And at that time, my mom was staying home with myself and my brother. And I was, let's see, we moved there when I was four. So I was, I was probably around six or something. No, maybe I was nine. Yeah. Maybe I was nine. I don't really remember, but I was in elementary school. Yeah. And um, my mom took a job with a friend working at her clothing store uh, downtown in the town where we lived. And I didn't think anything of it until my dad told me that he said, yeah, we struggled for a year and because um, my dad was really successful. So I just, yeah. I just never thought twice about it as a kid. You don't think about those things. Right. So he said, yeah, we struggled for a while, but you know, and your mom took this job and it hit me like just a pile of bricks. I, so in this hypnotherapy, it sort of came out that, oh my God, my mom Mm-hmm. was staying home with me. And then she suddenly had to take a job. Mm-hmm. So we were latchkey kids, you know, not a big deal back then. You know, the door stays open. You, you know, you come home. My mom had left um, snacks out on, on the counter for us after school, et cetera. But I never thought about what that maybe did to my emotional and mental state. Mm-hmm maybe what did I, and I don't know if this is the case, but maybe what did I do wrong? What happened? And on top of that, um, this also came out. So when I was, I think I was in third grade, maybe fourth grade, I was in, um, gym class and I basically wet my pants. I had to go to the bathroom so badly. And I don't remember if I didn't want to ask to go or if maybe the gym teacher was mean. I hated gym anyway. I was, I wasn't a clumsy kid, but I've never been, you know, I'm huge into fitness now, but I've never been a person, like I wasn't a sports, sports kid, right? So I don't remember if I was made fun of, but probably, and my mom wasn't home. She was at work. So the neighbor across the street who were really good family friends had to go get clothes for me and bring them to school. And, you know, I went into the hypnotherapy kind of looking to see if I could figure out the trauma because there's trauma usually associated with drinking, right? Whether it's something happens and you're made to feel less than, um, or, you know, there's trauma from just trauma from all different types of things, as, as you know. Mm-hmm. from your childhood. Um, and then there were multiple other things that happened after that. Um, and I had my first drink. I, I can't, I think I was in seventh grade. Mm-hmm. So, and it was a friend of mine who had older brothers, lots of, and, you know, parents who drank, my parents had alcohol in the house too. And I, frankly, I don't even remember why we decided it was a good idea, but we decided peppermint schnapps would be a good idea to drink. And we drank, I mean, terrible, right? We were so sick. We drank a ton of it, but here's another thing that's crazy is I have a lot of blocks in my brain. So I don't remember, like, I remember my parents, I don't remember if they came to get me because I was so drunk or like if I came home stumbling in, I was in sixth or seventh grade, but that was definitely the point where it escalated. And, 
it was up and down, up and down for years. But when I drank, I drank to blackout. I never drank responsibly, even as a sixth or seventh grader. So whenever, you know, I, in seventh grade, I had this great group of friends that continued through high school and we had so much fun together and it wasn't, it never felt like it was a big drunk fest, but we certainly snuck yeah. booze, right? I we were yeah. in a beach town. Like we would ride our bikes. Nobody was watching us. We would ride our bikes at night um, out to the beach and somebody's older sibling would have bought something for us, beer or whatever. I didn't, I, here's the thing. I don't know if you liked it. I probably liked the feeling, but I didn't like the taste of it. Like I never liked the taste of it. So it was really, um, I just drank, I guess, because it took me out of this person, this scared, awkward, wasn't sure where I fit in, maybe had, you know, had this trauma that was obviously never dealt with. Maybe it was fear of my mom leaving or my dad, like, I don't know what it was, but it continued through high school. And, um, you know, I, I was bullied in high school. My sophomore year, I, um, <laughs> I liked a senior and, um, and the senior girls weren't real happy about it. And there was some major, major bullying that goes on. And um, that was another thing we worked on in hypnotherapy, trying to let go of that because it, it was a really, really painful experience. So, you know, I just, I drank a lot. Um, in high school though, it was interesting, because not interesting. So in high school, my brother got into a drunk driving accident and almost killed himself and three other people. There was a big assembly assembly that happened. I was drinking a lot at a party when someone came and got me and said, your brother's been in an accident. You need to come to the hospital. So what's interesting about that is I stopped drinking at that point, sort of, <clears throat> or I stopped drinking as much as I had been. Um, there was definitely still some of it, but I basically stopped. And then I didn't drink all through college. Mm -hmm. I didn't drink in my early 20s. It didn't start until basically I met my husband. He is not to blame. <laughs> but I think that I met my husband. I got into advertising. <clears throat> I had just met my husband and I took him to a work party. And I was wasted. I mean, just wasted. And you know, there's so much alcohol in marketing and advertising. And I think I was the life of the party. I, this is, I mean, it's so similar to so many other people, right? I was the life of the party. I could dance. I, you know, everybody loved me. I was happy go lucky. And even when I wasn't drinking, I was the same. But I was Heather sort of on steroids yeah. when I was drinking. And, you know, when you're used to being sort of that insecure person who I didn't really have, I had a few boyfriends I dated, but I didn't really, that's not true. I dated in college. I thought I was going to marry a guy that didn't work out. But then I didn't really date until I met my husband after that. And I was 25. So I think that, you know, alcohol brings attention, whether it's good intention, good attention or bad attention. Yeah. Um, I just love to have fun. And that's what, that's what it did for me. So, so like I said, I drank to excess. I realized that alcohol was fun. And with my husband, I think I felt like I had missed out on the college years. Uh -huh. And so what's funny is the first time I ever actually had a hangover, even though I drank so much in high school, the first time that I can remember having a hangover was we had gone to a Northwestern football game or no, we were out the night before I discovered dirty martinis. Mm. And that is a recipe for disaster. And I went on to drink those for years and years and years and years. Yeah. Um, but we went to a Northwestern football game the next day with his family and I had the worst hangover. I thought I had the flu. I made up every excuse. I mean, I thought, no way. I you know, I don't know what this is. Um, so I would say that was definitely, if I were to pinpoint, that was the start of my drinking is when I met my husband. And again, it's not because of him, but 
his family drank a ton. There was always cocktail hour. It was, they had a lot of money. Like it was just, it was something so fun and thrilling. His parents would come to Chicago and we would go out for these super fancy dinners and we would all drink cocktails. And it, it sort of become, it became a way of life. And then I discovered how much fun it was to be the cool person at work that always had cocktail hour <laughs> in her office. So I don't know if you remember that, but I, I know we had cocktail hours a lot, like in, in that. Yeah, I middle. remember you had this office in a corner and like yeah. Friday or like after the pitch or yeah. like meeting, like your doors was open and you were always so welcoming and, um and yeah, and you know, yeah. our industry, marketing, advertising industry. And I think like all the industries, this idea of happy hour, you know, Alcohol yeah. is a dangerous drug. And if you yeah. have any kind of addiction running in a family, because I also think it's a genetic thing. Yeah. Any predisposition as well as any traumatic experience. Um, and then add to the mix, you get into environment that encourage you. Um, hey, go socialize, uh, be a teammate and go yeah. celebrate and have a drink and go to the happy yeah. hour. Uh, it's just like a perfect, yeah. A recipe for a disaster. Oh my god! And then you're, and then you have to take out clients, and you have to entertain yes. them. And what I, you know, I have this great idea for a business. Yes. Um, it's actually etiquette for for people right coming right out of college who go into business because I wish someone would have said to me, "Hey, it's really go out. It's fun to go out and drink with your clients, but this is the way to safely drink." You know, it's you go tell the waiter to every other drink, bring something else and have there not be any liquor because you don't ever want to be caught wasted around your client. I had that a lot around the Sprint clients, a lot, and, but they were too, they drank too. So it wasn't anything that I just thought about. Again, we had fun and I mean, it, it was just, I feel like it was just expected, you know, well, although I did. So like I heard a culture kind of thing. Oh, it? it's total like, culture. Yeah changes now but even yeah. like on the beginning I literally had to say openly I am uh, on my way to sobriety and I'm not going to any happy hours like I yeah. had to openly say it because people are like oh my god don't be a party pooper don't be like what are you not going to go celebrate and I was like yeah I'm not I can't this is a triggering situation to uh, for me and and I still was like oh she's not going because whatever right yeah yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I should back up. So I guess I'll dive into the juicy people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard this crap before. Okay. So, okay. So that's like the world we were living in. Right. So when I had my son, I was actually, it was before I came to Euro. Um, and I was drinking a lot at, at draft FCB as well. And same thing, having all these parties and I was going out to Washington DC every other week and having big dinners and all this stuff. But I, when I had my son, I almost died during childbirth and then all these terrible things happened to my body and I had, um, postpartum depression, really, really severe. So anyone who is out there, who is anyone who's younger than me, you probably don't even know, no, Brett Shields, um, had terrible postpartum depression to the point where she wanted to commit suicide and had suicidal thoughts. And, um, she has a book called down came the rain. Um, anyone who's struggling, I would say, go pick that up because, or message me, um, because I know what it's, it's like to go through such terrible postpartum depression that you think you would be better off, not in this world and that your family would be better off without you. It was, it was really, really bad, really, really, really bad. And so, and I didn't bond with him for a really long time. I had postpartum depression for like two and a half years. And back then the doctors didn't really, I, I wasn't open about it. I had some people try to talk to me about it, but when you're in this state, you also get very angry and you, because you're embarrassed or you're scared and the fear sort of takes over and you don't know what to do with it. But then I was over medicated, but then I got on medication and I was severely over medicated and also drinking to deal with the pain. So you add in prescription antidepressants, which it says on the label, don't drink alcohol, but everybody does. And I am telling you, I went off the rails. So where I used to be fun, and have a great time while drinking, 
I started to turn into a different person. My personality started to change. There was even, (laughs) I kind of forgot about this. I was on this mom's expecting club, June, 2004. And I was pregnancy. My pregnancy was hard, um, but I was kind of that happy-go-lucky person. I mean, I wasn't drinking during pregnancy, but after I had Nolan and I was going through all these things, you would have thought that someone would have been supportive and sort of caught on in this mother's group of what was going on. But I guess, why would they, they didn't, they didn't, they weren't doctors. Right. But I'll never forget. I actually left the group. I started to get really angry. My personality was just, I just was just angry all the time. And I remember someone saying, she's just not who she was when she was pregnant. And so I think with the mixture of postpartum depression and then drinking on top of that, I just became a different person. And I started to, before that, I had, I liked to drink to have fun and to escape from things. Right. Now I was drinking to absolutely numb and numb the pain of the shit parent that I felt like. I felt like a failure. I couldn't breastfeed. I I had to go through all of this healing with um with his birth and grappling and dealing with almost dying and, and all the, I mean, the trauma of, so add on every other piece of trauma. I also forgot to tell you, I witnessed um, a little girl getting hit by a car when I was in my teens. um, And she was, uh, my mom and I came upon the accident and she was under the vehicle. And I mean, she was dead, but um, so a lot of traumatic events, but the trauma of Nolan's birth hit really, really hard. So I drank and drank and drank, drank to get numb. I stayed at work later than I probably had to and made up excuses that it's advertising, but I didn't, I didn't want to be home. He had colic. Um, he was a tough kid. I love him to pieces. He's amazing. I have to say that he's amazing. He's brilliant. He's an illustration animator. He's in college now. He is a brilliant kid. Um, but even as a kid, he he was tough, right? He was a strong-willed kid. So it was just really hard. So um, so kind of fast forward, I drank a lot. At one point, I remember I was sitting down in our home office and my husband came down. I had a bottle of wine and I kind of hit it off to the side. And he just said, are you okay? What's going on with you? And I was like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. And he drank too, but not to the point, he had excess probably, but not to the point where where I was at. Um, so, so fast forward, I had my, I had my daughter, um, and everything was good. And my birth with her was great. I stopped drinking. I was like, oh, I don't, you know, gosh, maybe, you know, maybe I don't need alcohol anymore. But a friend of mine actually asked me if I was drinking and she had a baby at the same time. And, and again, this is not her fault at all. I asked her if she was, she's like, yeah, you just drink. I have to, I mean, she had more kids than I did. So she's like, I have, you know, yeah, I mean, I have a glass of wine. I'll just pump and dump or whatever. So I started drinking again. Mm-hmm. And then the work stuff, all of that. Um, okay. I'm going to fast forward a lot here because this is the same old story. It's the story on and on and on drinking and drinking at work and, and not wanting, you know, and numbing and the life of the party at work and everybody had fun and everybody stayed late and all that stuff. But you know what happens next? So my husband, um, I'm not sure how much I should say. He probably won't listen to this, but guaranteed he won't actually. Um, so someone tried to murder my husband back. Uh, it'll be 11 years coming up soon in October. And, um, I had been drinking. I came home from work. A series of events happened. Um, he went to go pick up rent from this guy. Was, you know, I don't need to go all into it because it's his his story. But um, someone slit his throat, one of our renters. And um, life just went downhill. I uh, I thought I was drinking to excess then. I really, really drank then because... I mean, shit, I think I probably got gift baskets of wine and booze and you have to, you have to, you have to numb. Right. And that trauma is, um, I'm shaking a little bit, uh, trauma like that, any sort of trauma 
it doesn't have to happen to you directly. Someone didn't slip my throat, but it happened to someone I love. And that can be, I don't want to say my experience was worse or as bad as my husband's, but I had to deal with what I saw in the trauma emergency at Stroger. I had to deal with what we were going to tell my kids. I had to deal with the gossip at school. You know me, I churn and burn, churn and burn, churn and burn. I get ahead of things. So I I felt like I was almost a PR person. I'm going to get ahead of this before it gets me. Yeah. And then it just went down, 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 down. And um, I just, I knew that I was drinking in excess, but I just couldn't stop. And then about three years, so three years before I started drinking, my husband said, you have a problem. There was kind of an intervention. My parents, um, everyone tried to get involved and I fought it and I fought it. I, Anna, I did terrible things. I, I was so in my drunken states, I said and did terrible things to my family, stuff I can't, I can't take back. All I can say is I'm sorry and I'm I'm sorry and move on. Um, So I tried and tried and tried. I went through two outpatient programs, didn't work. Um, bad, one good experience, one bad experience. I didn't have the right support. I didn't go to AA. Um, I do not recommend white knuckling it. I don't know. I only know one person who, two people, actually, I don't think you white knuckled it. I think you managed it in a very thoughtful way. I have another friend who, who did some intense work, but she also white knuckled it. I would not recommend that. Um, I thought I was going to lose my husband. I mean, I can't. Yeah. I'm talking to someone right now whose husband's divorcing her. He won't let her see the kids and he just won't stand by her. I don't know why my husband stood by me. He just knew that he was going to. And just because he knew that I was in there and that I could get better. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my son saw, st- saw stuff that I can't take back. Um, my daughter, thankfully, I don't, she might remember later. We're going to have to keep on top of it. But my son, my son and I talk about it to this day and he'll say, you know, I remember dad crying on the, crying on the steps and, um, not knowing what to do. So a friend of mine, believe it or not in advertising finally reached out to me. I've known her for over 20 years now. And she said, I don't want to overstep, but I just, I see all of your kind of wackadoodle posts on social media because I was angry and I wanted to tell everybody. I've since literally gone back and like deleted every single post. Um, I I don't, I don't need that shit out there. Um, but my friend, Jenny Fields, um, Jenny Reagan Fields, uh, got sober and I knew she was loud and proud and she was out there talking about it. And she held my hand and took me to meetings out in the burbs. I drove up to the suburbs for three, three days a week and I relapsed and I relapsed and I kept relapsing and I kept relapsing, but I kept going. I kept going to AA. I knew I wanted what they had. I didn't understand it at first. I thought it was a cult. I had been trying to do on AA on and off for three years. I would take myself to a meeting, get scared. People would approach me. I'd say, no, I'm like, this is a cult. What are these people saying? What is this? It works. If you get work, if you work it, get sober crap. Like, what is this? Um, but I'll tell you, it's like anything in life. It's a habit. If you want it badly enough. And if you have someone there with you holding your hand saying it's going to get better and it's okay. If you relapse, just keep coming back, just keep trying. And so I did that from like September until that March when it finally, when I, when it finally clicked and Anna, there's a lot of stuff in there that I am not saying. I mean, I did some bad stuff. I can't believe I'm alive. I've tried to commit suicide several times. I got in a car accident. I didn't get a DUI. Nobody else was in the car with me. I've stumbled enough times to target. I hid stuff in places all over the house. I mean, I don't want anyone to think that, oh, she had some trauma. Oh, this is just this, you know, nice middle-aged white girl. She's, it's just, 
you know, same old, same old story. It's, I, I had some pretty, yeah, pretty bad stuff that I did. I am lucky to be alive. Lucky. And thank you, you know, thank you for our vulnerability and sharing that. I think it's important to to see that side because it's hard to acknowledge that and, and talk yeah. about openly. You feel like you're a terrible person. I, yeah. I didn't. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> I mean, what would other moms think of me? What would, I mean, are, is it what, if I'm sober or, and I start to talk about it too, are moms going to want to let their kids come over to my house? Like it was bad enough hiding all this shit. And then I was going to hide being sober too because I wasn't going to go there. I couldn't possibly talk about it because yeah, drunks are people on the street. They're not me, right? Yeah. Until I learned through AA that guess what? The drunk on the street is me. I am the same person. We have the same disease of the mind. I feel like it's also in our DNA. We have the same disease. It just looks different. Yeah. But inside... I, I can relate to people in the rooms that I might not have anything in common about on the outside. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Again, thank you for sharing that. Um, just want to preface that. I don't know what zoom is telling me, but, um, we may be oh. up in three minutes, but we're going to resume. I'm sorry. I okay. Say a couple of things that pop up for me, if you don't mind again, thank you so much for being so honest and open about it. And, and I just hope it, it, it opens also the conversation to be compassionate to each other and yeah. understand that this is a complex issue and alcohol is widely available drug that is very dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, when you get your idea 21, you have access to it and people think it's an alcohol. It is a dangerous drug. And, uh, yeah. a drug. and our society is not well-educated. We are not well-educated of danger of it. And it, we are really enabled uh, yeah. alcohol and, you know, statistics show how many accidents and what happens how many people die because of accident because of alcohol versus weed or other drugs right it's it's a gigantic difference but what yeah. popped up in, uh, in your story for me is a couple things uh you know when you said um this story with you saw this girl who you kind of witnessed this accident mm -hmm, right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, then you witness kind of we were part of this accident of your brothers right yeah, yeah. Also, so you were not in it, but you were witnessing it. And then another pattern, which is repeating, which is your husband. So yeah. again, you are not fully there and it's not touching you, but you are witnessing it. So I just want to point out, because this is just, yeah. I was like, you are, and you know, we have to remember as a kids, we learn the pattern and we kind of repeat it somehow, you know, yeah. it's not your fault. Uh, but it's just interesting how you repeat yeah. this of being wit witness of very traumatic uh, events, yeah. participate in some way. In it. So I, this is really interesting. Yeah. My dad also had a heart attack my freshman year in college. Yeah. And so they were there is this, this repetition mm -hmm. pattern of some sorts that uh, that is happening and that is triggering for you, right? But then yeah. also, you know, as you talk about it, I feel like it's so imp important that we have compassion for uh, each other, but mostly for ourselves. And I don't know how it was for you, but I work for several months of, uh, and I actually wrote a letter to myself of forgiving myself for all the things I did when I, you know, I didn't have better coping skills and, yeah. and numbing myself with alcohol and all the small to big things um, that I did to myself, others, or, you know, was a part of, uh, just to forgive myself because uh, you know there's no other way to move forward than than having that part done it's so important to to again owning it like you and you seem mm -hmm. also forgave yourself because you can openly talk about it right yeah I mean I can't I can't take any of it back mm -hmm. and I sat in it for so when I first got sober you know, I was in this pink cloud and I was happy go lucky. And I was like, oh, I feel so much better. And I'm this new person. But guess what? The people around yeah. me, I wasn't a new person yet. Yeah. And I was going to have to work my ass off to gain back their respect and their trust. My husband, I mean, two years later, I'm four, almost four and a half years in, two years later, he was not he was not trusting me at all still 
three yeah. years about forgiveness. Yes. And we are back. Some technical yes. issues. So <laughs> where we have on your story is that you were four years in and your husband's trust. Yeah. So two years, I would say two years. Um, okay. So I have to point out the timing in case people aren't understanding this. And we were talking about how I had all this trauma, right? But mm -hmm. Anna, in my head, it wasn't trauma. Mm -hmm. It what I did not correlate it to drinking or any other behavior, right? Mm -hmm. Addiction to exercise, addiction to sugar, like any of it. I never put two and two together that that's what it could have stemmed from. So, um, so yeah, so earning back people's trust. I mean, my parents were actually, I have to shout out to them again. They probably won't listen, but they were absolutely incredible. I mean, my mom would come and stay for a week at a time, two weeks at a time. And just to be supportive and hang with the kids. And she's such a good grandma. I mean, she really is amazing. She has Alzheimer's now. So unfortunately she can't do that, but, um, they have been, they have been beyond my dad came and, and stayed when I had my car accident. And by the way, I don't talk about my car accident. So this is big for me. Um, my dad came for a week, mm -hmm. my dad, cause my mom couldn't come for some reason. So, um, it's a big deal, you know, to have supportive parents who, whose son put them through such hell with his car accident. And then his basically didn't overdose, but kind I don't know, I wouldn't call it an overdose, but his wake up call after his freshman year of college. And I mean, then his rehab and everything. That's a, that's a lot for a parents, for parents to take. Right. But when you have good parents, that's that's what they do. Your kids come first always, no matter how old they are. I'm 53 and my parents still <laughs> would put me first, which is crazy. Um, so yeah, so gaining back trust. But so I'm going to point out the timing. I turned one year, my soberversary, a week after lockdown. Oh, Jesus. I would say there are quite a few people who didn't make it through lockdown who were sober. I heard stories about people with 30 years thinking that they could just have a drink again. And now they've, even all this time later, they've not been able to stay sober. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I found other ways, right? So at that time, um, I was like, I'm home with my two kids. I, at least, I don't know how you felt about it. At least at the time I had, so, I had so much guilt still with my husband because I had to make up for this. Right. So my thought was, you know, when I, when I started seeing people posting all their drinks and whatnot, and they, how can I possibly homeschool without alcohol in my hand? You know, it made me sick to my stomach. And so thankfully I had this, um, I had this, and I think this helped with my guilt and helped push me forward is I, my guilt was overwhelming, which made me see all that stuff, all those posts and all the women drinking and parents in general. And it, it made me just coil, like recoil and, and just think this is disgusting. I never want to be that person again. Whereas I think other people are triggered by seeing other, other women are triggered by seeing other women drink. Right. So, um, so I was lucky in that regard, but it was, I went through a lot and I went through a lot of still crying myself to sleep at night because of the guilt and looking at my husband's face, knowing any second now he, he was thinking every single day, any second now, she's just going to go back to her same old ways. The longest I ever made it before that was six months. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I kept going. Mm -hmm. I was, like I said, I spent, so my first year I went to three meetings a week in the suburbs. I went to one meeting a week, two meetings a week here in the city. So that's five meetings a week. And I went snow, rain, blizzard, 800 degrees, I went. And those women, it was an all women's group, one of the groups, the, the group that got me sober in the suburbs, there was nothing, unless my life was being threatened, like with an actual like snow apocalypse or something, I, I, I did it. Because you, you have to work at it every day. Every day yeah. I wake up and say, I don't say I'm not going to drink today. Cause I just, it's just not part of my routine, but I, I'm so grateful. And I, and I, and I know that 
I have to just look around me. Like some people hate Mondays. I don't hate Mondays. Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for another day of life. I'm grateful for another week. I'm grateful to be alive. I was suicidal. I did things where I should be dead. Like I I am so grateful just to be here on this earth, which is crazy coming from a woman who really thought so little of myself that I thought I wouldn't be missed if I just killed myself. So you, you're right. You have to get, but you have to give yourself grace. You have to know that you can't continue to beat yourself up. And, and frankly, if you have a partner or friends or anyone else who continues to make you feel guilty, you need to consider getting new friends and talking to your partner about it. Because at one point I did think I'm going to have to get a divorce because I can't, I can't continue Mm -hmm. to feel like this. Mm-hmm. How much time do I have to put in before I'm forgiven? Because if you're staying in a place of such of self uh, such self-loathing, you can't move on, right? So I would feel really good and then I would fall back and feel like crap and then I would feel really good and then I would fall back and feel like crap. But that's another reason that I utilized AA is because I would go to these meetings and people would just envelop me, hug me, and make me feel like I was the most important person in the room. Because frankly, in your first year, you are. Mm-hmm. And um, you are. You are the you are the most important person in that room in your in your first year. And everybody goes out of their way. Um, and then, you know, I continued with AA too because I wanted to give back. But yeah, it's like, how long do you stay in a pattern of where someone can't forgive you? When do you know, do you let it go five years? It's kind of like when people are in, I don't know, any kind of marriage that's not good. How long, how much time do you waste in your life? Mm-hmm. Do you waste five years and then you look back and go, I could have done this five years ago and I would have been in a different place. I'm not big on regret um, again, but but um, we both stuck with it. and. Um, yeah, he's and he's been really, he's been really supportive. That's amazing. That. And yeah. then I feel like this forgiveness to yourself is such important because it opens the door to allowing forgiveness from anybody else to pin. Because if you are not forgiving uh, yourself, I think you project this unforgiveness on others in some way, and you can fully welcome their forgiveness too. And it's just another cycle um, of self-hurting in some way. Yep. Um, even though you are in the recovery and you're doing so well. Yeah. So that's huge. That's amazing. Um, and also, you know, in a context of kids, you know, I feel like um, I, uh, you know, started, uh, stopped drinking just when my first daughter was born. Uh, uh, so that was good, but, you know, still recovery process and healing process. Uh, that's still not easy. And you do some mistake. And I, I always thought of my father who used to drink uh, when I was a kid Um, and we just had when I was like 12 or 13 he stopped drinking and we just had a heart to heart and my dad came to me and apologized for all these moments and um, and and, you know and it was just such a healing moment for me too Um, and you know he him admitting uh, his um, uh, his uh, uh, problem and role and and how I could probably see it as a kid. Uh, so I'm saying that because I feel like uh, sometimes like when it comes to healing uh, uh, with your kids, like there is no uh, too late. Like kids will always welcome this repair in the relationship yeah. and this um, healing together, you know, and they are so understanding and because they, by end of the day, they want loving parents, right? They want healthy parents. And if you treat them as partners and, and just admit of your, of your being a human, you know, and explain mm-hmm. to them. Cause I think when things go unexplained, that's where 
that's where tangleness happens and kids don't understand they take it maybe personally right like oh my dad drink because he i wasn't enough for love but no you know my dad probably drink because he was adopted and and you know his parents uh, died when he was like four years old and there is so many other things that happen in the meantime they yeah. probably will never know of but you know there, there is their trauma too yeah yeah they call it generational trauma right I think that's what it's called and that can actually be passed down um which is a whole nother very fascinating topic um and I, I you're right I mean I've had so many conversations with Nolan um this is kind of funny too um he's great so he's 19 and he's a freshman at DePaul and he's just I cry again he wrote me the nicest birthday card he drew, he made it homemade. Both my kids like to make homemade, which is great. My daughter's 15, um, but they're both artists. So he wrote the most incredible note. And he said, I, I drew you a picture as pretty as you. And I'm so glad your mom and you're a wonderful mom and all these things. And it's, you know, but we talk about the drinking because obviously he's in college and he doesn't like alcohol. Thank God. Um, he's, you know, he's tried some other things, but we, we talk about it. So, because it is an open conversation and we have to have these conversations too. Um, my daughter's really funny because we don't talk a lot about when I was drinking. I bring it up sometimes, but she's very, I was telling her about how there are some people on Instagram who are sort of, and this is maybe another conversation, but, um, they say they're sober, but they're, I know someone who actually there are people out there who want to get more followers. So they say they're sober when maybe they don't have like an, an addictive problem. They just are alcohol free and she gets really mad. <laughs> I've mentioned it to her a couple of times because I think she sees the, my, my reason in saying that is she sees how hard I work. Mm-hmm. She sees the work that I do. She, I always say, and this is crazy, that I'm a grateful alcoholic. And one of the reasons I'm grateful, I wouldn't wish it on anyone, but I'm so grateful that I am because I've learned so much about myself. And I know you feel that way too. And I've worked so hard on myself and I don't know who I would be. Being sober and being a recovering alcoholic doesn't make me who I am, but it is a part of who I am. And I do believe it has helped inform the person that I am today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've also seen people, but I've also on the flip side, seen people in the meetings who are just jackasses. They are not nice people. And I look at them and I think you're quote unquote sober, but I don't think that you're actually living a sober life because living a sober life doesn't mean that you're perfect all the time. And that you don't yell at your kids, you don't break down and you don't have issues. But what living a sober life means is I'm so grateful to have my life back Mm -hmm. that I am going to continue to be the best person that I am. And like you said, when you make a mistake, you take responsibility for it. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, um, yeah. And that I hopefully am, am some sort of a, not a mentor, but a person that other people can look to and say, if she did it, I can do it because I want, I want that life. Yeah, I bet. No. And that's why we are doing this episode. Um, I bet they are. I am. I am inspired by you for sure. And your story. Um, so you were talking about AA as one of the things that, you know, were tr- a tremendous of help for you uh, in the recovering process. But are there any other things like rituals or things that really are helpful? Yeah you in the process and keep you sane and keep you on track and is there anything else yeah 100 um so you know fitness (laughs) that's a big thing for me um I started so I've been doing I fitness for a long time even though I said I wasn't an athlete and I'm not but when I um but then I discovered so in the beginning of the pandemic I work out with Amy Johnston fitness she started um her online fitness community literally days after lockdown she called me and said I have this idea should I do it I'm gonna go live for free I'm like oh my god yes this would be amazing so I still do her workout program three days a week so I do lots of weightlifting lots of hit stuff but then I do hot yoga um, so I do hot yoga four to five days a week and I do it with my husband. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually four days a week, I guess. Um, and we go together. So it's kind of our date night. It's kind of our date time that we do it. Um, it, you know, it, if I have anything that happens during the day, it doesn't always help. I'm not, not going to lie, but it is a time for me to sweat out any, uh, any junk, any junk in my brain, any toxicity in my body, any of that. So I do those things. I walk my dog. Um, that's a big one for me. My husband and I actually walk together now every single morning. Um, I used to walk by myself, um, and listen to podcasts, but now we walk together. I listen to podcasts. So Mm -hmm. whether it's stories, inspirational stories of sobriety or um, just inspirational stories uh, that from from women of, of overcoming things. And that's why I have my podcast, Sharing Out Loud, because I believe that it's so important to share your story out there in the open for the world to see, um, because we can all help one another with, with our stories. So um, yeah, I used to get up and, and say, you know, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change that. And I still do. Um, I've kind of gotten out of that practice, but there is something about, I need to get back into doing something first thing in the morning. I know you meditate, so I need to, I need to do that. I need to think about that. My brother actually gets up at like four o'clock in the morning to meditate. Um, so I know I need to do something, something else like that, especially when you did the pranic healing on me last week. Um, it just made me feel so much better. So, so, so much better. So anyone listening, go to Anna for that because it is, I had never done anything like that over Zoom, just in person. And I wasn't sure how it could help over Zoom and it really did. So if you're open to it, your mind has to be open to it. Um, So that's kind of it. I, you know, I'm very present. I like to be present with my kids. We try and have dinner almost every single night. We, I drag my son kicking and screaming not really. He likes to a home cooked meal, but I do try and since he's local, I try and get him back from college when he's in school. Um, that keeps me grounded as well. Um, and Anna, one of the biggest things that I do is, and I gave my daughter this when she was having anxiety attacks last week, really, really bad. I said, get out of your head when you're not feeling great, when you're having anxiety, whatever. And this goes, what I say to people, if they're still struggling with drinking, they always say to pick up the phone and call someone, but it's not just picking up the phone and calling someone. Yes. Tell your sponsor, whoever it is that you need to talk and you need help, but ask someone else how they're doing. If you know someone, even if you don't know anyone that's struggling, just reach out and say, Hey, I was just thinking about you. How's it going? How are things? I love you. Whatever. Because that makes me happy to be there for people, to listen to them. And it gets me out of my head. Yeah. And it's like your focus out of your misery. And also that we are all humans having our struggles uh, uh, in this life. And uh, yeah, in this moment. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I, and I, yeah, and I do love my AA. I'm not, quite as, you know, I don't go as rigorously, rigorously as I used to, but, um, I think there's something called smart recovery out there. And then there are all different other types of programs. I would just be careful. I'm not an expert. I haven't trained to be an addiction counselor. I would say, just be careful with some of these things because I've heard, you know, people say, well, I don't like to say I'm sober or working on my sobriety because it's a label Well, you're off we're all labeled with something. I'm a woman with brown hair and blue eyes and freckles. Yeah. People are like, are you Irish? Why are you labeling me? Like every, everything's a label, right? Who cares? I don't care. Um, so they, and they like to say, well, I'm alcohol free and, and that's fine. Everybody needs, everybody needs to do what they need to do. But I truly feel like if you feel like you have a problem, Mm -hmm and want to lead an alcohol-free life, that's fine. But you need to decide, you need to look really, really hard. Is this a habit? Is this a a true addiction where I'm really going to struggle? So I really need to dive in and get help for this. Or have you maybe just been drinking too much lately out of boredom or something? So just tread lightly and, um, you know, search for people to follow on Instagram. There are some really, really, really good people. Um, 
So where's the new black, black something, what's her name? She's really good. There are lots of people to follow um, that are really inspirational. You can get your daily dose of, of inspiration, which is nice. Um, so yeah, what do you recommend to people? Um, I, I honestly, I do recommend just checking with yourself because like we had conversation before, I truly believe that, you know, I am not an expert of you and anybody else. I can share my story and I can share my tips because maybe something will resonate for you, but it's up to you to make a choice and, and whatever, mm -hmm. you know, AA never was my thing. Yeah. Um, and I never cho chose that. I just work with myself, with therapists, uh, yeah different types of therapy so it's I think it's a very personalized choice and and you really have to trust yourself and uh, in it and try different things even you yeah. know if you're not sure just try and if something will um, feel good and stick and try start helping uh, uh, you I think obviously that's the thing to stick to but again you know I we are in this um era of with democracy democracy of social media and democratizing the, the voice everybody has of this this idea of experts like i i would never yeah. call myself an expert in anything i am just sharing things that may be inspiration and helpful um uh to somebody else whatever i yeah. am there, i feel responsibility to share that so it's i feel like it's it's really really pers personal and and you have to trust yeah with a chance and then see what what works for you you know yeah and none of the stories like we said before are the same yeah I absolutely and I will also say that um I do think talk therapy is amazing if you don't find the right therapist um, I do believe that addiction counselors are trained in that so I think that that's a good place to start but you know you have to you have to um, vibe with the talk therapist. There's EMDR, oh, there's a bunch of stuff. Try and try again. If you don't like someone the first time, do not feel guilty about leaving that therapist. Yeah, fire them. Very intimate relationship. And I had a couple that I went to their office and I was like, nope, you are not going to fix me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I found my Dr. Chang. And, yeah. and, and I literally first meeting and I was like, yep, this is it this yeah yep. for two and a half years um, wow so I found uh, another doctor so yeah and there are other forms of therapy like I truly believe that your pranic healing is therapy I believe that yeah. the hypnotherapy oh, works the, re the reiki exercise like really exercise all of it yeah. I think that you have to when you take care of yourself you know you have to take care of your energy too right so you know, sitting around and eating potato chips and drinking a Coke to try and not drink. It's probably not, you know, watching TV every night. It's probably not taking care of yourself. Although believe me, I eat a lot of candy. So that's my, uh, that's my vice. Um, so, and that's okay. Right. But, um, you know, I, I, there are other ways that, um, that you can work on yourself too, if you're open to it. Yeah, 100%. And I was lately thinking that I do know that I do have addictive personality. So I am just tricking myself to get addicted to anything that is good. <laughs> yeah. Like sparkling water. I should have, I sh I'm holding it up. I should have bought, uh, oh my God, I should have bought into a sparkling water company back when I got first got sober because the amount of, um, oh. yeah, the, the amount of it is, is kind of absurd, but yeah. So Heather, a couple more questions and one may be strange, but I want to ask it because I want to reframe this thing for us, both of us really. Can you please tell me what are you grateful for um, in a context that you have been an alcoholic? I, oh, God, I am grateful because what I have found through sobriety allows me to help and be there for others. Mm -hmm. um, I, that is always who I was. And I, like all through high school, I was always that person that everyone talked to. And I think it's kind of like, I'm an empath and I, I feel like it's my yeah. calling. And being so heavily drowning in addiction makes you very selfish and only think about yourself. 
So let me say one more thing. I'm not going to go on and on. If I weren't sober, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to be there for my aging parents. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be able to be there for my son's first breakup with his girlfriend in his freshman year of college. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be present for my daughter's anxiety. So, and anything with my husband, of course. So that's what I'm grateful for. I am able to be present 24 hours a day. Anybody can call me at any time and I'll be there. Yeah, that's amazing. I feel like I'm always interested in this idea that sometimes we can be grateful for the hardest things uh, and bad things not bad things the the you know the not the best choices we made in our life because they bring us to the best place and the best us Uh, it's a you know tangle way around yeah or maybe it's not you know it it definitely (laughs) has so much lessons and and wisdom and and strength Mm -hmm. you know yeah I love that. And then I always like, so, uh, on the end, I like to ask my guests, um, is there is anything, um, I know you have mentioned Brooke Shields' uh, book mm-hmm. and podcast, but is there anything, a podcast, a book, an app, um, anything that pops to your mind that you love, uh, I don't know, it supports you in your sobriety or in your business or anything. I just like this idea of us sharing like, oh my God, I love this and I want to share it. Uh, with anybody else? Um, you know, I, it's crazy because I know that there are lots of sober podcasts out there. I don't, um, I don't have any lately that I've been readily listening to what, um, they're out there. So if I feel like I need to listen to someone's story, I go out there and I look for it. But what I'm super into now is laughter Mm -hmm. one. So I have to listen to the smartless podcast and the Dak Shepherd's podcast, but Dak Shepherd is also um, smartless to laugh my ass off. I actually sometimes have to stop on the, like, if I'm walking, I have to stop because I feel like I'm going to wet my pants because I'm laughing so hard, right? Like I'm doubled over with laughing. I love them so much. And guess what? Two of those guys are sober and Sean Hayes doesn't drink anymore because it does something to his, I don't know, he doesn't have a seizure something else happens to him um, if he drinks. So Dak Shepard with um, his podcast, uh, Armchair Expert, is also sober, and he does have sober people on there sometimes, but um, like today I was listening, and the founder of Airbnb, oh my God, Anna, you have to go listen. You will love being an entrepreneur. You are going to I love Airbnb Ah. guys are just my favorite. You are going to soak this all in. What podcast is it? So it's, he's, so the founder of Airbnb, he is on Dak Shepard's podcast and it's called Armchair Expert. And he was on Spotify only for two years. And I think they realized that they weren't speaking to the masses. So they're back on Apple now as well and everything else. So Dax has a really awesome sober story as well, because he relapsed with some drugs a couple of years ago and had to start over. So that was, that was really good for me um, to listen to, but I'm also I'm super into this whole midlife, (laughs) what's happening in midlife, aging women, um, where am I going? How am I going to build and create my second act? What am I going to do with it? Menopause, all this stuff. So um, this woman, Natalie Jill Fit, went from being a a fitness person to a um, uh, talking about midlife. So I've been listening to her stuff. And then I just started this is actually huge for me personally. Again, I think it kind of in a way, it doesn't really relate to sobriety, but it's about feeling good about yourself, right? So shop with Caroline. She's midlife. She has a story about her dad being diagnosed with Alzheimer's, caring for her parents, suddenly looking in the mirror and realize, oh my God, I've let myself go. I look like garbage. So she has this great Instagram account and um, she gets dressed up every day and shows her cellulite and all the stuff and feels good about herself. And she just makes me happy. Like I just look for things that make me happy. And then I also look for educational things as well. Right. So literally I have a friend who's a sexual health, um, health 
physical therapist. So she does the women's pelvic floor, but she's also a, a sex expert. Um, and she just sent me a, a bunch of podcasts and Instagram people to um, watch and, and follow just based on everything with menopause. So Love just that. find, find not all sober podcasts are great podcasts. So just go out there and look for the ones that you like. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and this is this is the good side of social media and then all this democratization of our voices uh, that we can share our stories. And I love that, you know, yeah. uh, that you I can would... share your story, find people who resonate with you, who um, who you really help every day. And uh, that's yeah. why I, I hope this episode did for uh, many other people, because uh, that was the purpose to celebrate our sobriety. Uh, yours, uh, Heather, congratulations and mine. And to share the story and to understand that, you know, by the end of the day, we are just humans and, and alcohol is a really dangerous drug. Again, that is widely available. If you can drink responsibly and you have a healthy um, relationship with alcohol, I am so envy and uh, happy for you. Yeah, uh, but for we sure. Also be open and, and vulnerable and, and share um, the stories when it's not the case, right? Yeah. yeah. And be forgiving and being compassionate to each other because again, this is not that we choose anything like that. I think nobody yes. out there who is drinking and have a problem with it really chose there. There is a backstory, usually a long story that got you there. Yeah. Um, and you get are tangled uh, and then you are chemically addicted and then you yeah. can't get out of there. So um, I think a lot of compassion to each other ourselves. Yeah. Um, that's the purpose here. Yeah. And if you're a mom, you don't have to drink to deal with your kids. There are other ways of support. Um, just, just know that I, yes. I know that motherhood can be really stressful and I get the wanting to even just wind down at night with a glass of wine, but, um, you know, you might have an emergency in the middle of the night that you have to get up and, and go, and you don't want that in your system. And yeah, you just don't need it. It seems like you do, but you don't. Yeah, and you know, promoting this mommy glass of wine, it it can also be dangerous. <sighs> somebody can start doing that as a fun mommy glass of wine and end up somewhere they don't want to be. You oh, know, yeah, it's, it's something we need to be really aware of. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. Um, real quick, so sorry, yeah. mocktail oh, mommy, yeah, mocktail mommy on Instagram. She is okay. one of my favorite people oh, on the planet. Yeah. She's amazing. She has four kids. She went into um. Uh, she went into rehab when her daughter was like only a couple months old. And then my friend, Tiffany Lee Gaston, she is now about 11 months sober. We're actually going live on Instagram tomorrow. I'm excited. Um, So Tiffany Lee Gaston and Mocktail Mommy, they are both super like powerhouse, very, very outspoken um, about their sobriety. So go follow them. They're amazing. Awesome. And I will obviously link your Instagram, uh, but anything else you want to share where people can find you? I am going to share your podcast. Anything else? No, just follow me at Heather MDNB. And um, Anna, thank you so much. This was such an honor. And I was so nervous because I'm not, I haven't told my story in a really long time. And there were new things that came up in the story. So this is definitely uh, a different, different type of conversation than what I've had in the past. So, um, yeah, it I was really beautiful. thank you for, again, for being open and vulnerable yeah. and sharing, uh, many details. Uh, again, it just shows your strength, strength and, and it's so important to understand that again, we're just humans and, and sometimes we get tangled in something and yeah, and started to share off, of, uh, there's hope. There is hope, right? There's hope. Thank you, Heather. Um, Everybody else, until the next time, love and light. uh, And I'll just stop recording, but please stay, Heather. We can...